not not a you problem. It's not. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the one. It's just the one. I don't know about that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I do know. <laughs> I, does, I don't think there's any scientific evidence to prove that. Scientifically? No. But I do know. <laughs> and I do know that you are incorrect. <laughs> so. She knows. Put that in your pipe and smirk it. I won't. Can you hear me? I can yeah. hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. But can I hear me? I guess I can. I don't know anymore. It all sounds the same anymore. I don't all right. know. I don't know. This is where I'm at in life. It's just, sure. you know. Yeah. No, I get that. I understand that. <laughs> like on a deep emotional level. I'm here. Yeah. With you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you. hey. Hey. Um, yeah. Yes. Welcome to Ghost and House. Ghost and House. Hey. I like that you didn't ask. You were just like, I knew it. I had a feeling. Yeah, I had a feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a feeling. So, yeah. Welcome to Ghost and House. Ghost and House. Ba -ba Paranormal podcast where we talk about all things spooky. Yeah. Cryptids. Uh-huh. Aliens. Yeah. Motherfucking witchcraft. Uh-huh. Murder most motherfucking foul. Definitely. And that one time, mm -hmm. Space Ocean. Yeah. Oh, we're back to that. See, you never know what's going to come out of my mouth. I mean. Giggity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hi. So, hi. Yeah. Hey, do we have any backhoes? Yeah. Love a, that. A couple. Uh, first, right after we recorded last week. Yes. Went home, checked my phone, and Lionel Dahmer has died. <gasps> what? Yeah. Is that his dad? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That is all the information that I have, but he is deceased. Now. Oh, goodness. He was... He was in his 80s, I believe. Yeah. I mean, it's not... Like... I, I, I feel like most people are going to be neither here nor there, because like, on the one hand, he didn't do anything, but on the other hand, he kind of created a monster. Yeah. You know? Came out of his balls. 50% responsible for the creation of one of the worst. Right. And, like, wasn't a good father. So. Not really. What was wrong with his sack? Uh, well. Well, I mean, the other, <laughs> his other son was fine. Yeah. For all I know. But then again, in comparison to your brother, Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. I mean. Most people were saints. Yeah. Yeah. It, didn't his brother just go on to, like, not use his name and. Yeah, live in obscurity and yeah. be a normal human being. Wouldn't you? Yeah. I'm surprised Lionel didn't. I feel like it was maybe too late for Lionel at that point. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> Fair. He was already pretty like he was pretty well established. He'd been on the news and shit. Well, you know? not I just mean, that, but I mean, yeah. He'd been around yeah. longer than his youngest son, so. Right? A little bit easier yeah. for him to fade Fair. into obscurity. So, there's that. Well, uh, yeah. And then we've got a few no, really? RIPs. Really? We've got a few RIPs. Yeah. You didn't end Den? And uh, there's more in Dens. <sighs> anyway. Uh, first, we've got uh, Ryan O'Neill. Oh, shit. Love Story, Paper Moon, oh, Farrah Fawcett's bow for many a year. Tatum's dad. Tatum's dad, yep. Yeah. So, wow. That. Uh, Shane McGowan from The Pogues, which That's is one I forgot. The one that I had in case you didn't. Uh, and then Camden Toy, which most might not know him by name, but if you have ever watched Buffy, you will know him 
he was one of the two main gentlemen from the episode Hush. I met him once at a con, and he was just a lovely, lovely man. Um, But yes, he just recently passed a couple days ago. So that was very upsetting. He was a very sweet man. So You know, and I'm going to go local. Yeah? I'm going to do it. Okay. Because, you know, if you are in the Portland area and in the underground queer club community, you know who Patrick Buckmaster was. And he has passed. He he would DJ at Stag. He was a DJ at Club Kai Kai. And Dante's, he was very, very well known in the club kid community here. And uh, he was definitely, definitely a local icon. So he uh, he will be missed. Rest in peace. Yep, rest in peace. Go to that great glitter cloud in the sky. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, and then we have an email from our listener, Hannah. What does it say? Uh, it says, hey, y'all, so I'm playing catch up on some newer episodes for good reason. I took a break to binge the entirety of Invoking Witchcraft. Excellent Fair. choice. Um, and just listen to Make That Shit Dope. That was the Tupac episode. Um, the Facebook vote surprised me not even a little bit. We love some long ass episodes. <laughs> I know that's a lot of work and we really appreciate all of the time, research and writing that goes into it. Uh, D&Z, you guys make so many mundane tasks so much easier. Getting the house in order becomes less of an insurmountable task and more of a time to zone out and hear some good stories. Uh, But in answer to your question, Randall, personally, I love the random interruptions. Mm. (laughs) Uh, I find them hilarious, and if it's a question or comment made during a story about said story, you're usually saying what we're all thinking. That shit's entertaining. (laughs) Uh, Also, you asked how long it took me to listen to the show in its entirety. When I started, I was listening during my evening job, which is about two and a half hours, but I also used that time to call my mom, so I didn't listen every day. So from first episode to being caught up, probably about ten months. Okay. Um, and then and then she asks, "What are y'all's opinions on how much AI is doing? I've heard some. Uh, I've heard that apps like ChatGPT is making some jobs easier, but the concern is that it'll take jobs from writers and artists. XOXO hoes. Man, thanks, you Hannah. You really wanted to have a four-hour discussion on AI <laughs> today, didn't you? Yes. Um, we could do that on a Le Patron too. Here's here's. But let's answer her question. Okay. So rather than do that, because my brain's going to be very scattered about it, uh, I'm going to recommend, hold on, Yeah. hold on, Yeah. hold on, holding, Mm -hmm. holding, (laughs) okay, there are at least two episodes of a podcast that are really, really good that talk about this and as far as the entertainment industry is concerned. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a podcast called Factually with Adam Conover. Factually. Uh, the episode released on July 12th called The Actual Danger of AI with Gary Marcus. Uh, and he's got a couple about AI in here. Well, How do you feel about it? A oh, it's, good place it's, to start. it's not good. I'm terrified of it. Well, okay. We know, old prospector. <laughs> Here's the thing. The- That's why nobody asked you. <laughs> Uh, the likelihood that it would be like a Terminator scenario is so insanely low. Right. Because not, nothing that AI does is built on like um, a very misused term is neural net. But it's not constantly learning. It doesn't have sentience. 
Uh-huh. Like none of that is true about it. Well, I it's, don't think that's the. I don't think that was part of the question. But I'm glad the, you're. No, that's it the out. terrifying. That's, oh no, I'm she's just scared terrifying. of technology in general. She doesn't use the calendar on her phone. I don't use the calendar on my phone. Why don't you clarify what you meant by scared? She's, well, no, just terrified. Like it freaks. No, okay, not scared of it, but it freaks me the fuck out. Like you can tell it to do something or write something, and it just okay. does met it. Her. She's scared of Siri. Um, yeah, essentially. Okay. No, but yeah. the AI and the lobster hands, the photos. Oh, yes. Okay, but just sure. the idea of it in general. So because again, old prospector. Yes, yes, old prospector. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So sorry. If Don't that's look at me like that. But is it, I, I've, no, I've called her that for years because the one time I saw her, it freaks me out. Lay down Fair on enough. the floor in an Apple store. <laughs> so, hey, gross! I started to sweat uh, in the Apple store, and I went and I laid in the panties That's Victoria's right, Secret because I had to get the fuck out of there. Okay, there it is. That is, but still, like, mm, okay. So, yes. AI, what most people refer to as AI, is really just the Chat GPT function, and then there's yeah. also the imagery, which is a whole other can of worms. But it's referred to as a large language model, which essentially just means that the entire English language is loaded into it, and it detects speech patterns based on things that are out there it can scan the internet for that uh which is why if you ask it hey write a stand-up joke in the style of anthony jeselnik it will because it can find it what it's not though is intelligent it's not intelligent it's not creative it will string things together based on the knowledge that it has but the underlying issue is that that information that it's pulling from it's not crediting the people that's the big thing yes it's stealing artists work yes is the main underlying issue as yes. far as it goes in like in making movies or writing books yeah there are, have been some ghost writers that have been found to actually have been ri- completely written by ai and the people don't actually yeah. exist right oh, so wow. it's uh definitely something that can be used for good for simple yeah. things yeah but also when you have people in positions of power that don't want to pay artists they are going to use it for evil which was a big mm-hmm. part of the strikes that were just exactly. happening to get especially AI the act- especially the actors especially strike the actors strike because of the some of the stuff that they wanted to do well, with they, likenesses of celebrities or even just extras and it's already been done like yeah. it is it is it's happening it's actively happening if you watch uh, Tron Legacy with Jeff Bridges mm-hmm. um if you watch uh the new Obi-Wan series oh for like well de-aging and stuff that is well, that's different because is. they are they have permission to do that but then you look at Rogue One where they what, with completely Carrie? insert uh no Peter can't remember his name pushing Sh- yeah, yes yeah they completely insert him he is not de-aged. He is, he is a complete yeah. manifestation of a computer. That is another thing where if you have someone's life rights and his estate gave the okay, that's different. Sure, because but they've that been is paid, the kind of thing that can happen. But that's the idea. They also want to use, uh, they want to scan extras. Yeah. And some actors, just people you know, and have them agree to be able to use their likeness in perpetuity forever for whatever especially with like the background actors they just want to pay you a day rate and then throw your likeness in a crowd in whatever they feel like which um no 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 that's not that's not okay thank you uh i still i don't know where the negotiations landed uh as far as that in the contracts i have not kept up with that i a lot of people aren't happy 
yeah, I that's why I, I haven't kept up yeah. on what happened with that part of the contract negotiations. I meant to, and then I didn't. Mm-hmm. So Same. I will have to look into that. But yeah, um, I am not a fan no. of it in that regard. And and especially when you look at AI imagery, mm-hmm. that is the most damning of stealing people's work. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it is quite literally matching existing artwork together into yeah. just, a quote unquote original piece. Yeah. Yeah, which it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. And none of those artists are getting credit. None of them are getting paid. They are just having their shit stolen. Yeah. And it is trash. It's trash. It's very bad. It's very, very bad. Yeah. So uh, there's that. We don't like it. Nope. TLDR. AI can suck it. Yeah. Can eat shit and live. Or die. Or die. Eat shit and stop existing. Yes. <laughs> Eat shit and go away forever. But as you said, it can be used for good. It can be. But like most tools. Yeah. yeah. Like I said. A lot of people don't use them. The for wrong good. people uh, are abusing it. Yes. And unfortunately, the wrong people in this case have the most money and the most power over it. Exactly. And it's the topic of the newest Mission Impossible movie. Sure. It was really good. I I don't even know how many Mission Impossible movies there are anymore. Seven? I want to say seven. That feels right. And this last one is a two-parter. Sure. And, I, and the second because part's we not can't, out yet. We can't tell complete stories in one movie anymore. Apparently not. Uh, no. I, I mean, that feels like the Thank correct you, number, Potter. but also too many. I feel... All Just great. make it its own story. Just make it its own movie. It doesn't mm. need to be... I don't know. I don't care. I guess, you know, I really don't care. I don't also, care. Who cares, right? Fair. But like they're good. Yeah. They're fun. Yeah. Action. They're fun. I like Simon Pegg. Sit down and I do do too. I love Simon Simon Pegg. Pegg. He's great in that role too. Uh, We've heard, or I have heard people somebody told me that they rented the Jeff the Mongoose movie and it was great. Oh good. Yeah. I mentioned it a while ago. But that is a movie. That that sounds familiar. Yeah. Um Nando Fordor, for, yeah. Fodor or something like Nandor. that. Nandor. Nandor. Fyodor. Fyodor. Yeah. Oh. And then... Hodor. Oh, you have treats. Hodor. I do. In- entirely different guy, but yes. I'm aware. But yes, did I did. Did you grab spoons when you were downstairs? I hear spoons. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah, you did. I did. That's also... I went down there. Um, I hear spoons. If I could figure out where they all were in this bag, it would be helpful. <laughs> not a big bag. It's not. They were... Give it a little toss. Buried... Oh, good catch. Well, it was mostly at my stomach, so I just had to <laughs> I just had to bring it in for a landing. And like, and bing. So first, because holiday times, uh, this one is, I'll just tell you, because who cares? Uh, it's sweet potato marshmallow casserole. Okay. I was like, this could, this could go either way. It's probably going to just taste like pumpkin pie. Probably. Where is that? Oh, is my guess. I would, I would, I would uh, likely second that. I have to guess. That. I hope it doesn't clash with my laser cat. What is what? What the fuck? What? What? Is that what your drink is called? <laughs> oh, okay. Good God. I was like, oh no, she's having a stroke. <laughs> no, that would be if I smell a laser cat. I, mm, I don't. I have so many <laughs> takes on what you just said. None of which are funny, most of which are gross, but just know they're in there. It's a laser cat, iced tea from the Dutch Brothers. I don't go to there, so I I don't know what that is. It's entails. the closest to here, so it I is. went and to it's there. Just down the no, I know, I just never go, so I don't 
I don't what what is in it? It's tea, but why what? Strawberry and sugar. Here. Is it one of the like Red Bull situations? No, it's tea. It's black tea okay. and then there's like I think it's like coconut, strawberry, and something else. Oh, okay. It doesn't right. really smell Ready? like anything. Yeah. Three, two, one. Hmm. Oh, there's actual marshmallows. Okay. Tasty. Okay. It's like a sweet pumpkin pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I prefer that to the actual casserole and or pie itself. Fair. Mm. It's got like a little maple. Yeah, it's real maple-y. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. And these, I have never actually had what it's based off of, but I got them. And when you see it, you'll know why. Raspberry and coconut. Ah. Oh, boy. It is the Little Debbie Christmas tree cake ice cream. Okay. I've never actually had the Little Debbie's Christmas tree cake before. I used to buy those for my kids all the time, and now I buy them for the feral demon baby. <laughs> Are the Christmas Every tree Christmas. cookies the super, super, super soft ones? No, yeah, it's, they're it's, like a, it's, it's like, like a, a little cake. Oh. Like a, it's like a giant ho-ho. Yeah. Ooh. Shaped like a Christmas tree. But there okay. are two, because there is vanilla and, and chocolate. And there is chocolate. And so I was like, well, we'll see what happens. That's essentially what it is, is a ho-ho. Yeah. These are going to need to go back downstairs at some point. It smells like nothing. Most ice cream does, I think. Smell like nothing? Yeah. No. Okay. So if you've had one, you'll have to tell me how accurate it is. Here we go, three, two, one. Oh, that's nice. I like that. That's nice. Mm-hmm. That's good that's job. pleasant. I like that. Is that's it very pleasant? Is it close? Is it accurate? To the- I don't, I don't eat them. Okay, well, I was gonna say you're the you've bought them in the past, so I you're buy more them. I don't eat them. I don't like sweets. Have them. Oh, it's really good. I'm not. I'm not a sweets eater. And that's a chocolate version of the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Here you go. Okay. Hold on. Here we go. So don't feed this to Lana. No. No. Okay. Ooh. Lana. <laughs> okay. Here you go. Oh, there you go. All right. Everybody likes this dead silence. Mm-hmm. Christ. It's very chocolatey. It is. Mm-hmm. Which I like. Mm-hmm. The vanilla one tastes probably more like the thing. This okay. one just tastes like chocolate. straight chocolate. Yeah. A lot of chocolate, though. Yeah. Like real chocolatey. All the chocolate. Mm-hmm. Nice. They're all nice. Yeah. They're all wonderful. Holiday ice cream. Well, I'm going to go put these away. That's probably a plan. Here's the lids. It's probably a plan. Yeah. I am really excited for your part. Duh. Yeah. Well, do you want me to go first? Because technically you do. I, I can go first. I'm just excited. Okay. I mean, we can do this either way. Yeah, you can go. If you want to end on, on your part, duh, we can end on your part, duh. Or no, I, I can oh just God. go. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. No. Okay, <laughs> All right. Well, let me put on my eye barts. Please. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to get rolling. Nice. I'm going to do this. So today, I have a very tragic and bizarre Christmas murder story. Oh. Holiday murder, if you will. But first, let's start off with the definition of a word. Okay. A horrifying and probably self-explanatory word. Okay. And that's familiacide. Ah. 
According to the old wiki, the definition of a familicide is a type of murder or murder-suicide in which an individual kills multiple close family members in quick succession, most often children, spouses, siblings, or parents. In half the cases... John List. Right, John List. In half the cases, the killer will kill themselves last. So hold on to your butts, because today I'm going to tell you all about the Lawson family murders, of which there was one survivor. Mm Hmm... So, Augustus and Nancy Lawson lived as sharecroppers in the unincorporated community of Lawsonville, North Carolina. They would have three boys, Charles, Marion, and Elijah. Marion. Marion. Charles, the oldest, was born on May 10th. He's a Taurus, 1886. And in 1911, he met and married 19-year-old Fanny Manning. Manring, sorry. I'm... I'm sorry. Did you think you were going to get get past us with Fanny Manring? Fanny Manring. Fanny Manring. Is this, that real? Yeah. This was That's like, the actual name. That's her name. This was like the time when you did I believe the Hinterkaifeck mm-hmm. and you tried to get by with on a dicks. On a dicks. You're just like I'm just going to breeze but absolutely the fuck not. I don't think so. Fanny. Fanny Manring. Manring. Fanny Manring. That is a drag name. And on a dicks. Mm-hmm. If those are not drag queens, please, any of our listeners that are, in fact, drag queens, please do that. Please. Or are thinking about it. Please. Please. Fanny also, Manring. can we just, so real quick, good. man ring, gay butthole. That's what it is. That's what, if that's, that's what a man ring is. It's a gay butthole. <laughs> well, I feel like that was implied. I know, and I'm saying it. Thank you for clarifying, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, butt, gay butthole is what that name is. Fanny. Fanny is also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for, no, the front part on a lady. Really, behind you? Yeah, in I've never Europe. heard that. Oh, fanny. Yeah, in the UK. Huh. Oh, that's why it's called a fanny pack. That's why they call it bum bags there. Or you wear it on the front. It's a fanny pack. Yeah, but that's why they call it oh, bum a- bags because they're like, oh, we can't say that because it's <gasps> too lewd. <laughs> huh. Learn something new every day. Pussy yeah. pack. We're gonna feel all feel real bad about this when she dies, but that's okay. Well, (laughs) can't help it with the name like Fanny Fanny Manning. Manning, You, I mean, hey, in these modern times, these modern days. Then again, back then, uh, also everybody dies. Not like this. I'm not saying like that. Say everybody dies a gruesome, horrible, bloody murder like this part lady is about to suffer. That is true. So, Fanny and Charles would go on to have eight children. That's a lot. Marie in 1912, Arthur in 1913, William in 1914. Get off her. Leave her alone. Carrie in 1917, Maybell in 1922, James in 1925. Raymond in 1927, and Mary Lou in 1929. Uh, They were busy. So the third born, however, William, would die of pneumonia in 1920 at six years old. So in 1918, Charles and Fanny packed up the four kiddos they had at the time and followed Charles's two younger brothers to the Germantown area to work as sharecroppers. And if anyone is unfamiliar with what that is, It was a common system where a more wealthy farm owner would rent out portions of land with a home, which used to be usually the slave quarters. Mm -hmm. So they would rent them out and uh, for a cut of the crops. Yep. So 
you'd go, you'd live on that farm, they'd give you a home, and you would tend to the land and then pay your rent in, in crops. It's not actually a clever name. So It is exactly what it's it exactly sounds like. It's exactly what it sounds like. Um, so Charles had worked on a tobacco farm, and by 1927, the Lawsons had saved, saved enough money to buy their own farm on Brook Cove Road. So for much of 1928, in the evenings, Fanny, our Charlie, Fanny, and Arthur, now 16, and Marie, now 17, would work together renovating the old farmhouse, which was over 100 years old at that time. Oh, good lord. Yeah. Like, we're talking old, old. Real old. So, and I've seen a picture of it. It was old, old. <clears throat> so, one night, while removing rotten timbers, Charlie accidentally hit himself in the forehead with an axe. Ooh. And he didn't seem quite right after that. I mean... Charlie seemed to be a bit more rude and impatient. His family and neighbors noticed the difference, and they didn't see him as the kind person they thought him to be. Maybe he had been working too hard or was stressed out about making ends meet, but whatever it was, people just started to steer clear of Charlie Lawson. I mean, when you take an axe to the face... Mm -hmm. It's highly unlikely that you're going to be the same yeah. after that. Like, if you survive an axe to the face, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Touche. Yeah. So, in December 1929, a few weeks before Christmas, Charlie told his family to load up into the truck that they were going for a drive. So, surprised, they all did as they were told, and Charlie headed into Winston-Salem, which was about 13 miles away. Okay. Once in town, he surprised them even more by buying them all new clothes, which a spending spree on something like fancy clothes was very unusual for the Lawson family. But the farm had been doing very well, so Charlie then told them that they were going for a family portrait in a studio as a Christmas surprise. A lovely gesture to be sure, but very out of character, which wasn't a bad thing. Yeah. Or so they thought. Mm. Because I'm assuming, again, after <clears throat> he got a little mean, after hitting himself in the face with an axe, like, oh, well, this is lovely. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's back mm -hmm. to normal. Mm -hmm. So, Christmas morning was cold. Marie got up early to blend the butter, sugar, and egg whites, roll a cup of raisins in flour, pour the mixture into two circular pans for the... This was her signature dessert that she would later frost and decorate for the family's holiday dinner. I know this one. <laughs> While the cake was cooling, Charlie Arthur and Charlie's two beagles went out to go rabbit hunting, which was a common thing to do in the area on Christmas Day. But after a while, they had run out of ammo, so Charlie told Arthur to walk back into town and pick up more, which is going to take a hot minute. Yeah. It's going to take a hot-ass minute. Meanwhile, back at the farm... Marie was finishing up in the kitchen, and the two younger girls, 12-year-old Carrie and 6-year-old Maybell, decided to go visit their aunt and uncle who lived nearby around 1 p.m. So remember, they moved down there with his two younger brothers. Mm -hmm. One brother lived one mile away, and the other was two miles away. Okay. So they were all there together. Yeah. But what Carrie and Maybell could not have known or even imagined was that their father was waiting for them behind the tobacco barn with a very loaded shotgun. <sighs> Charlie shot both of his daughters. Then, to be sure, they were dead, bludgeoned their heads with the handle of a hoe, then dragged their bodies into the barn. 
He then headed toward the house, and he reloaded his shotgun. Fanny was on the porch peeling potatoes, and when he got into close range, he shot her dead. Oof. She was 37. Ugh. Now, the tobacco barn was far away, not farther away from the house. Yeah. But everybody was out rabbit hunting because it was a very common thing. So to yeah. hear the shots you would just assume. that far away, it didn't. Fanny wouldn't have been startled or shocked. Yeah, she just would have assumed it was someone hunting rabbits. Right. would be like, oh. Yeah. yeah. So, same old, same old. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that the kids in the house at that point were scared to death because, again, hearing a blast outside far away is fine, but that close to the house is yeah. a little different. Um, Charlie... Shoving more shells into a shotgun, swung open the front door, pulled the trigger, first shooting Marie, who slumped to the floor in front of the fireplace. Reloading, he shot two-year-old James and four-year-old Raymond. Later, the police decided it was as they were trying to run away because of where they fell. He then hit four-month-old Mary Lou in the head with the butt of the gun. She would die of a fractured skull. Charlie then gathered all of the bodies of his family and arranged them in a line each one of them with their arms crossed and a rock under their heads before taking off into the woods. Mm-mm. So Elijah, Charles, Charlie's younger brother, and his son, Claude, had also been out rabbit hunting that day, and they decided to stop by the farm and wish his brother and family a Merry Christmas. Oh, no. They went into the house and found the bodies. Nightmares for the rest of your days. Claude would much later, in 1991, give an interview to Fox 8 photojournalist Chuck Hemrick, and of finding the bodies, he said, Whenever I went in there, some of them was laying in the house dead. Blood was running ever which way. Hmm. So Elijah alerted the authorities, and the news of the massacre quickly spread in the small town. Meanwhile, Arthur who had gone off for more ammo, Mm -hmm. was located in town by the police. And uh, they brought him back home. So at that point, no one had known that it was Charlie that had killed his family. But they did know that he was missing. Yeah. Then just before sunset, the police, Arthur, and his uncles, and the families that were gathered there, heard a single gunshot in the woods. Oh, no. No. The echoes of the gunfire had barely faded before the howls of Charlie's two beagles led the searchers to his body. Oof. Footprints in the snow encircled a tree indicating that he had been walking around in circles for an unspecified period of time before he, according to Claude, had carried a stick and turned the gun right toward him, toward his heart, and shot himself right in the heart. <sighs> Police found letters that Charlie had written to his parents, left near his body, which said nothing about why he had killed his family, as well as a crumpled scrap of paper. And on it, he had written four words. Blame nobody but I. So, the Lawson family, including Charlie, were taken to the night funeral home in Madison, which was much farther away. The reason being was because they had an elevator... And with that many bodies yeah. that needed to be transported, it was easier because the funeral parlor was upstairs. 
T.B. Knight, who was the owner of the funeral home, bathed and bombed, dressed, and prepared each member of the Lawson family for burial, with baby Mary Lou being buried in her mother's arms. Aww. Knight dressed the family in the clothing that Charlie had bought them all just a few weeks prior. That's right, y'all. They were buried in the outfits they wore in their family portrait. Oh. The funeral was held on December 27, 1929, and everyone the Lawsons had ever known came to see their coffins lowered into the single family plot, all seven of them. The headstone that did have a square and compass, meaning that Charlie was a Freemason. Oh. And there wasn't a lot of talk about that until he was buried. Huh. Uh huh. Interesting. So the headstone on the single family plot read Not now, but in the coming. It will be in a better land. We'll read the meaning of our tears and sometime we'll understand. So word of the massacre made its way into the papers and the surrounding areas, which brought 5,000 people wanting to pay their respects. Wow. As well as some that were just there out of morbid curiosity. The Winston-Salem Journal reported, From hillside and valley, from hamlet and city, they gathered. For three miles along the road, cars were parked, while men and women, many with babies in their arms, made their way through the mud to the cemetery. There they crammed and jammed to get a glimpse of the seven caskets and turned their ears to hear the tributes paid. Wow. 5,000. Three miles of parked cars. <clears throat> That's bonkers. Yeah. Many of the looky-loos visiting the graveyard also took the opportunity to go look at the Lawsons' home a mile away and look into the windows at the blood still coating its floorboards. They hadn't done anything to the house. Yeah. It was literally just left. Blech. And this gave Charlie's brother, Marion, an idea. So Arthur, now an orphan at 16, uh, was going to need money to keep up on the mortgage payments. So within 10 days of the murder itself, Marion had the cabin, which had been untouched since the murders, securely fenced off and began running newspaper ads for 25-cent tours of the murder site. <clears throat> Frog in my throat. Uh, morbid. Yes. Like, I get it. But people paid it. And at their peak, the tours pulled in upwards of 500 people a day. Unfortunately, many would take keepsakes from the scene, including the raisins from Marie's cake, which then had to be put into a glass case. Yep. I mean, they were taking, you know, pieces of the floorboard, the raisins from her cake, tearing mm -hmm. off strips of fabric from Mary Lou's cradle. Um, it said that someone had, there's a vial of, of what they believe to be Fanny's blood, like wild, wild shit. That is... Yep. Um, yeah, where is it? La, 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 la. There we go. <laughs> when the family's belongings were auctioned off at the end of January 1930, it was the murder weapons that brought in the most money, with the local paper stating, the shotguns used to slay the seven members of his family attracted the greatest interest and went under rapid-fire bidding. Then later that year, Arthur joined the tent show exhibition of Lawson family memorabilia, which Marion had put together for Mount Airy's County Show. According to Lawson family researcher Patrick Boyles, they took the crib and pieces of furniture out and exhibited it at the fairs for the people to see. Marie's cake, 
The stove it was baked in and at least one of Charlie's guns were also exhibited at the tent shows with a Barker stationed out front to draw in the crowds. The most striking souvenir of all, though, was the one that Charlie himself provided a week before the murders, the family photo. Many a copy were made and sold. So what the fucking fuck? Why did Charlie Lawson kill his entire family except for one? Yeah. Very intentionally, then kill himself. Why did he spare Arthur? And why a few weeks before killing his family was Charlie hell-bent on buying all new clothes and having a family portrait taken in a studio? Well, all of these questions are a subject of debate even today. Uh, Charlie, referring to the family photo as a Christmas surprise, has led many people to believe that the murders were premeditated. And if you look at the photo... The only ones even remotely smiling are Carrie and Charlie. Except his is not quite a smile. It's a bit more of a smirk. Mm-hmm. I think Is Fanny holding the baby in the uh-huh. picture? Hers also looks like a bit of a smirk, but I think that's, you know, just having, mm-hmm. holding a baby and being mm-hmm. responsible for... That many Five youngins. teeny tiny mm-hmm. babies in a photo studio. Right. <laughs> She's like, mm, hurry up. So some have blamed Charlie's head injury. However, an autopsy and analysis of his brain at Johns Hopkins Hospital found no abnormalities. Okay. Now, it's, you know, 1929. Like, I I don't know what kind of abnormalities they were looking for or True. what they could see in, yeah. in that time. But... They said no abnormalities from a brain injury. Okay. <clears throat> we're gonna so, take we're gonna take the 1929 science mm-hmm. with a, a grain yeah. of a grain of salt because yeah, it's 1929. Yeah, she. As for Arthur, well, the most common theory and what I believe to be true is that Charlie sent his son on the bullshit ammo run because Arthur was the only person that could have potentially stopped him. Arthur was a big dude for 16, and he was bigger than his father. Yeah. You're looking at the photo? I am. He's a big boy. Yeah. Like, He's cute, too. Yes. Hottie Except McTotty for the potty. fact that I found a colorized photo, and it made his eyes look like that of a demon. Oh, well, not um, nice. But, yes, he is very handsome. And very I, handsome. I thought, I was like, and Marie's that can't beautiful. be the 16-year-old. And it, it is, because yeah. he's... and that's Marie. She's gorgeous. She is. So, yeah, that's that's the most common theory, is that... Arthur would have stopped his father in some way, shape, or form. He could have. Yeah, that makes sense. He could have overpowered him. He could have shot him. He could have done a lot of things. Yeah, he looks not only taller, but a, like more bigger. strapping. Yeah, he was much bigger. Yeah. And, you know, with Arthur not there, it's just little boys and women. Mm-hmm. Well, two women and children. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so the years went on with no answers. Then in 1945, Arthur Lawson was killed in a car accident, Aww. leaving a wife and four children. He was 32. Aww. The farm then was torn down, and some of the wood was used to build a covered bridge nearby with a memorial plaque for the family. Interest in the tragedy waned and faded into history, only remembered by locals. That is until 1990. Trudy Smith was a local North Carolina writer that had been fascinated with the story of the Lawson family murder since she was a child. And including all the whys and hows that went with it. So between 1987 and 1990, she and her father, Bruce Jones, dug deep 
did a lot of research and conducted interviews of those still around, and they found that the Lawson family had some dirty secrets. Uh-oh. Which resulted in her self-published book, White Christmas, Bloody Christmas. In 1991, after all the research and writing, Trudy was just about to finish the book with basically the conclusion of, we don't know anything other than here's the facts that we could find and memories mm -hmm. of people who were there. And then she was contacted by one of the few remaining family members that was still alive and was alive at the time of the murders, a woman that she had already interviewed. Her name was Miss Stella Lawson Bowles. Stella was Charlie and Fanny Neeset. Words are hard. Sorry. Stella was Charlie and Fanny's niece, his brother Marion's daughter. And it turns out that there were people in the family that had an idea of why Lawson killed his wife and children that day. Ooh. In fact, there had been a few people that had kept some family secrets close for a very long time. Oh, boy. So Miss Stella, who then in 1991 was 76 years old, she was 14 at the time of the murders, so she remembered it well. And during her original interview, she, like everyone else, had been shocked by what had happened, saying, this was just unbelievable when this happened. I could hardly take it in. After being at the Lawson home and seeing all the love that Uncle Charlie showed his family. But Miss Stella had more to say. So later, and right before Trudy was done, she called her and said, you know what? It's time. It's time to do it. It's the truth. It's what I know, what I understood. So Stella then went on to say that she had overheard her mother, Jetty, and other Lawson women talking about how Fanny had confided in them that she was concerned about an incestuous relationship between her Charlie and Marie. Oh, no. Now, Jetty passed away in 1928, which means that Fanny had been suspicious of the incest for at least a year before the murders took place. Oh, no. Stella then dropped the bombshell that 17-year-old Marie was pregnant and Charlie was the father. Oh, no. Then said, it was just a close family and I didn't know that things was going on in the family like they were until I think this happened. Right. So, Trudy published her book. Some locals were upset at the revelation, but it also prompted others to come forward. One of those was Marie Lawson's best friend, Ella Mae Johnson. According to Ella Mae, the girls had had a sleepover at the Johnson's home a, week before, a few weeks before Christmas when Marie confided to her that she was pregnant with her father's baby and that both of her parents knew about the pregnancy. Then another person came forward, a Lawson family neighbor, neighbor named Sam Hill. He said that he had heard that Charlie had forced himself upon his daughter, and when she became pregnant, he warned her that if she told her mother or anyone else, there would be some killing done. Oof. Now that obviously was hearsay. You know, he is not a family member. He was just a neighbor that had heard yeah. something along that, and I'm going to say that probably truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So the new information prompted Trudy Smith to write her follow-up book in 06, The Meaning of Our Tears. Now, to me personally, Marie does look pregnant in that photo. Mm -hmm. Either that or she was really bloated that day. Some people have said that they don't think so, but in my opinion, whether it's a pregnancy or not, 
there is definitely a swelling in the belly that is clearly visible. Mm-hmm. She just, maybe she was a thicker girl, but as a woman that's had children, she looks pregnant to me. Yeah. You know, and that it's, you know, the drop waist dress, it's, it's forgiving, but not that much. Yeah. Only to a point. Only to a point. Yeah. She looks like she's probably about four-ish. Yeah. So, yeah. So now let's fast forward to October of 2022. And the Netflix six-episode series, 28 Days Haunted. One of them focuses on the Madison Dry Goods and Country Store in Madison, North Carolina. People in Madison have known the building is haunted. People passing by have often talked about seeing a ghostly young girl at the first floor window, and she's also been seen sitting in a chair. There are reports of rooms going ice cold quickly, then warming up again. Children staring blankly from the top of the banister. Uh, startling thuds, slams, and jumbled yet commanding warnings to get out. And the owners, owners of the building say that they often have people who feel very uneasy when walking through the halls, as well as those that refuse to go upstairs, which is for good reason. Because the building that the store is in used to be the TB Night Funeral Parlor. Oh. And is where the Lawsons were sent to be prepared for burial. The elevator. That's right. According to store owner Richard Miller, when asked if the building has ghosts, he said, yes, a little girl. I've never seen her, but four people have seen her. One was a man. I was in here years ago, and apparently she was looking out the window because the man wanted to know if my daughter was in here working with me. There's been three kids. One kid's about three years ago grabbed his dad's arm and said, I'm not going up there. There's a little girl standing there. I've had a couple of kids who won't go down the hallway. Well, all of that has some people thinking that the little girl that's seen there could potentially be one of the younger Lawson girls, Carrie or Maybelle. But that's not the only alleged haunting tied to the Lawson family murders. The Browder Cemetery, where they're buried, is also reported to be haunted. A local woman named Sonia Cox told, told, words are fucking hard, (laughs) told local Fox 8 reporters that she captured something she can only describe as evil at that very cemetery. According to Cox, local legend has it, if you put baby powder around your car and go out to the cemetery, when you come back, children's handprints will appear on your car. So she and her mother and son and friends did just that. Sonia said, had my Nikon professional DSLR camera with me, tried to take some pictures of the graveyard with it. It completely would malfunction, would not work. So they took out their phones. And Sonia said, it wasn't until I got home and really started looking through those images that I saw some things that were kind of disturbing. Yeah. yeah. Some of the images looked like static on a TV. Some were solid white, others just black. There are some that have some strange white streaks or trails. Okay. Lots of trails. Real interesting photo. And orbs as well as a photo of what looks to be a handprint in baby powder on their car. Hmm. As for the disturbing photo she was referring to, according to Sonia, there was one particular one that looked to be an image leaned up against a tree looking right back at us that some have this is verbatim, that some have saw 
and thought looked very demonic. The thing appears to have horns on its head, and it just has a demonic look to it, like a demonic-type spirit, like a ram's head. Hmm. You can see a copy of that image on the second floor of the Madison Dry Goods store where the Lawson's bodies were lifted up to the mortuary in an elevator that still works. And why would that photo be up there? Because the top floor of the Madison Dry Goods is a museum now dedicated to the Lawson family murders, where you can also see the famous photo of the family, a photo of Charlie Lawson in his casket, a photo of the hearses, two newspaper clippings, and the embalming room, the chapel, and the viewing rooms that were part of the funeral parlor. The Lawson family murders of December 25th, 1929, inspired the composition of a murder ballad that had been recorded by numerous artists. The first was Walter Kidd Smith of Virginia, who wrote Murder of the Lawson Family, and recorded the song in 1930 with the Carolina Buddies. Then in the 1950s, the bluegrass duo the Stanley Brothers recorded another version of the same song. Then again in 1967, North Carolina's Doc Watson recorded the ballad for his album, Ballads from Deep Gap. And finally... Dave Alvin of the Blasters recorded another version of the song in the year 2000. That is the story of the Lawson family murders. My goodness. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And here's the thing. If you, okay, if you did molest your daughter and impregnate her, why did you kill your whole family? Just take yourself out. Right? Like, what? Take yourself out. Or just run away into the night. And right? change your name. Was real easy to do back then. Real easy to do. Just disappear and... Right? So it sounds like it was a, a secret that they, they kept real, mm-hmm. real close. And yeah. Stella was like, you know what? I'm 76. This lady's writing a book. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get it all out there. She died two years later. Oh, wow. Yeah. After... After that book came out. <clears throat> so, yeah. But who? Uh, they said no brain abnormalities. I don't know what 1929 science could or could not see. Yeah. I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. But, again, too, like, is it the shame? Do you, what, what? You know you did a bad thing. It was fucking terrible what you did. Yeah. But why the whole family? Yeah, that, that's the I part. mean, did he think he was also sparing her the shame? I don't know. Right? It's a weird... It's a weird one. And no one will ever know why. No. No one will ever know why. And, hi, he was a Freemason, which, I mean, totally unrelated, but no one knew until... Or at least no one's like, oh, I guess he was a Freemason? Yeah, weird. Yeah, it was not anything that was mentioned in anything about him anywhere. Huh. I mean, I'm guessing maybe his brother's new shit. I don't know. But it just, it didn't come up anywhere until after they were buried. Which again, weird. Weird. But she definitely looks pregnant to me in that photo. Yeah. She does. But you know what? She also had a boyfriend. Yeah. Now, he was not mentioned anywhere other than she had one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Hard saying not knowing. Yeah. So uh, my sources are Wiki, Strange Carolinas, My Fox 8, Michael Hennessy, Chris Weaver, and Justin Melrose. Then a separate article by Chad Tucker. 
Southern Calls, Alice Adams, Find a Grave, Maria333.proboards.com, TrudyJSmith.com, PlanetSlade.com, Paul Slade, CriminalMinds.Fandom.Motherfucking.com, Murderpedia, News.com.au, Candace Sutton, Carolina Traveler, and Medium, Michael Coffey, Shenbaga Lakshimi, Fatim Hemraj, all separate articles. Excellent. There you go. A little holiday murder for you all. Marie yeah, was really, really pretty. Yeah, she was. She's a pretty, pretty girl. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. But I will say she looks pregnant to me in that photo. I can definitely see it. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> yep. Yep. At first I was like, oh, that dress seems a little bit unflattering. And then mm-hmm. I thought it like, right before you're like, mm, she's pregnant maybe. And I'm like, oh, that would make more sense. Yep. 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 Yeah. And, you know, I, it, it makes me wonder too, because all of those clothes, A, he just bought that day. Mm-hmm. And they were buried in all of those clothes, which is, is weird to think of. But, um, you know, the style of the time was that drop waist. Mm-hmm. Which is forgiving to a point. And maybe that look on her face is because she knew her dress was not forgiving. Yeah. She's like, ooh, well, this is a little too tight. She looked angry and uncomfortable in yeah. that photo. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe also because she was standing next to her dad yeah. in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Which also, I feel like she probably didn't have great feelings towards him. No, were that. No. No. But, you know, and again, too, it sounds like, because, so Jetty passed away in 1928, which means that either sometime in 1928 or prior to that, mm-hmm. Fanny confided in her sisters-in-law and family that, hey, I'm concerned about this thing that's happening. Don't quite know what the fuck to do yeah so yeah yeah anywho well i would say what you got what you got but i know what you got you do know i know what you got if you don't go back and listen to last week's episode because this is the second part of that story and all the young lesbians checked out (sighs) except for one yes well that was one theory that was posited, but we will get yes, to very dramatic. it uh, eventually. But yes, so quick recap: fifteen-year-old Kirsten Costas, all-American girl, was going to be a cheerleader the following year at her high school. Uh, was taken out by an unknown, an unnamed friend. Mm-hmm. According to the phone call. Uh, mm-hmm. And after about an hour or so that evening, Kirsten was murdered by this person in her neighbor's front yard. Yeah. Stabbed to death five in times. In front of people. Yeah. And they had no idea. Yeah. Holmes had done it, despite witnesses mm-hmm. seeing the girl. Uh-huh. And her very loud pinto. Loud, again, both mechanically and physically. Visually. In paint color, loud Ford Pinto. Mm-hmm. Which was not a very common car in the area because they were a little bit more 
well-to-do, but there were 750 of them in the surrounding area that they looked into. And last I mentioned was that Kirsten's parents had hired a private investigator to do do some legwork because it had been many months and the police had gotten nowhere. Nowhere. So they hired Elliot Friedman uh-huh. to look into it. He checked out, because the police did have a few suspects uh, at the top of their list, and they checked into the alibis of everybody on that list, and every alibi checked out except for one. And that is where I left off for one. last week. There was there was one alibi that that was that was not was not good. So here we go. Uh, for whatever reason, and it's partly because she had agreed to take a polygraph. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, but local police had failed to follow up on the alibi provided by one of Kirsten's classmates and fellow member of the Bobolinks, the Bobbies, uh-huh. that little charity sorority that they were a part of. Uh, she told them that she'd been babysitting for the Weems family on the night of June 23rd, which her mother had confirmed. But no one thought to ask Mrs. Weems about it. Well, that just seems like bad police work. I'm gonna say yes. Yes, it was. That's horrible police work. Eh, uh, Yeah. They're just like, sounds good. Your mom said you were there. Okay, that's enough. We don't need to ask the person you said you were with. But was your mom there with you? No. Right. Horrible police work. A little backwards. Wow. So Elliot Friedman reached out to Mrs. Weems and asked her about hiring a babysitter on the night of the murder, which was apparently news to her. Uh, She hadn't needed a babysitter that evening, and in fact, she hadn't hired that specific young woman in about a year. Oh, Uh Uh-huh. So he went to the police with this information, but was told that the suspect had passed her polygraph test, to which he informed them, quote, it's wrong. Wow. Yeah. Police allegedly had the results of said polygraph test, which were inconclusive from the start. Inconclusive is not passing. It's inconclusive. Apparently, some of the results, she had been truthful, and some of them were inconclusive. But they just decided, they're like, yeah, okay, well, it's fine. She mostly passed. You can't get, you can't, polygraphs aren't like grades. You can't get a C- minus and still pass it. Right? That's not how those work. They barely work as it is. Mm-hmm. And I know this was 1984, mm-hmm. but still. Right. Like, come on. Like, if there's an inconclusive result, maybe look into that a little bit more. Just a wee. You're like, hmm, I'm just going to ask some more questions. Yeah. <sighs> Lord. So, in any event, they had the results, which, again, were inconclusive. Um, they had them reread by members of the FBI, because if you'll remember, they had been working with them. Uh-huh. And they had that profile uh-huh. being worked on while Elliot Friedman, that's when um, the Costases hired Elliot Friedman, was while they were waiting for these this profile to come back. Okay. So, the results are rechecked 
by the FBI. Uh-huh. Their conclusion, the killer was indeed the young woman they had already interviewed and cleared. Oh, shit. Yep. Her name was Bernadette Prodi. Oh, Bernadette. Mm-hmm. So whomst the fuck was Bernadette? Yeah, and I'm did, with the pro, I'm curious what the FBI profile was. Well, I will tell you. Oh, good. It was not easy to track down. Um, they usually aren't. Yeah, it's because a lot of podcasts that mm-hmm. I listen to and a lot of sites that mentioned it only mentioned that it existed mm-hmm. and that. Uh, you know, I'll get there. Anyway, Bernadette was the youngest of Raymond and Elaine Prodi's six children. For starters, and yes, they were devout Catholics, by the way. Okay. Many children. Uh-huh. Uh, Raymond was a retired public works officer for the city of San Francisco, and her mother was a homemaker. Uh, according to some sources, Bernadette had previously attended a Catholic school, but transferred to Miramonte, which was allegedly Arinda's only public school at the time. Uh-huh. Um, she transferred there at the start of freshman year for our high school. Uh, she was called plain and average. Okay. Um, if you look at a picture of her, she was actually a very cute girl. Mm-hmm. Very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, she, like most teens, felt that her parents were, quote, so old mm-hmm. and that they never listened to her. Stereotypical teenage thought processes. 100%. Here, we don't kill people, though. We've all been there. Yeah. Well, this is just her parents. Like, we get it. Like, mm-hmm. everyone's yeah. had that thought about their parents, family. Great. Um, by most accounts, her family seemed to be more in the category of middle class, mm-hmm. um, which if you'll remember, I quoted, um, the other main suspect, Nancy, mm-hmm. she said middle class didn't work right. in Arinda. So that was probably also something that... If you're middle class, you're low class. Exactly. So... I've seen Pretty in Pink. <laughs> exactly. Uh, middle class, this embarrassed 15-year-old Bernadette to no end. Um, while her house wasn't small by any means, it had some chipped paint, maybe needed a little TLC. It wasn't super fancy or nice, but it wasn't... A oh, shithole. It wasn't a hovel. <laughs> hovel. <laughs> um, the furniture inside was maybe a little older and more worn than in other homes, which no one else truly... Seemed to mind, Mm -hmm. except for Bernadette, who had told her friends that she wished she could live in a nicer, more modern house with, quote, Laura Ashley walls and Vogue furniture. Oh. Yeah. God, Um, I remember Laura Ashley. Right? (laughs) I know. I read it and I'm like, oh. Oh, I just time traveled. I just time traveled. Uh, My friend's sister is named Laura Ashley. (gasps) Oh. Unintentionally, her mom like completely forgot that that was a thing. Yeah, and then she's like, "Oh, these names sound so great together." And then after the baby was born and named, she was like, "Oh, goddamn it!" I was like, "That's silly." Laura Ashley Walls. Yeah, and Vogue Furniture. Oh boy. Um, she had been one of the elite young women asked to join the Bobbies, which you'd think would have raised her spirits and self-esteem at least a little bit, but apparently it wasn't enough. Okay. Um, she was already on the swim team and went out for another sorority-like group, uh, which was her first choice, because uh, I think there were two at the school, the Bobolinks and 
the one that I could not find. What like, the fuck does a, what is a bobolink? I don't know where the name came from. Bobolink. The Bobbies. But I tried to find more information on like, the origins of it, but I could not because I, I also don't it. think it exists anymore. Yeah. Um, probably not. But the other group that was essentially the same thing, just a different name, I tried to find the actual name and there were like three different ones and mm-hmm. nobody could decide which one was right. Yeah. I was like, right. well, huh. it doesn't matter. Guess but we don't do that kind of shit in school anymore. Right. Uh, so that was the one she wanted to be in. Her friend was in it. She wanted to be part of that, but she was not asked to join that group. She was asked to join the Bobbies. Sure. Which, again, you'd think would be great because it's also full of those girls, exclusive, yeah. popular girls, but no. Just makes me think of the Babadook. She, she cried about it. Oh, um, Okay. And like I said, she was already on the swim team. She went out for the other sorority group. Uh, She also wanted to join the yearbook and cheerleading, but she made none of them. Okay, girl. According to a friend named Jessica Grant, Bernadette's, quote, whole world fell apart, end quote, when she wasn't asked to join the yearbook staff. Um, Oh. Yeah, I guess she cried to the principal and asked them to reconsider, but they did not. Um. She also shared that Bernadette, quote, worked hard for cheerleader, end quote, and that she was devastated after not making the cut, adding, quote, she came up to me afterward and said, I didn't make it and I can't believe it. She was really disappointed. Okay. Right. Uh, Bernadette, shocker, here, did not have a very high opinion of herself. Sounds like it. Uh, one of her close friends, who is referred to by the alias Kathy Simon, shared that Bernadette had once told her, quote, I have an inferiority complex. I'm ugly. No guys like me. I'm so deformed. Look at my body. My hair. My clothes are so blah. Okay. I mean, we've all been. We, we've all been there. Teenage girls, but also, uh, yep. you know, like, regularly, all the time. Right. Like, I, but oh. too far. So one upside to her school career was when she started working in the office alongside Kirsten, easily one of the most popular girls in the school in Bernadette's eyes. Um, what better way to get to know someone and hitch a ride on their star, right? Yep. Just doing a little office work with this person. Um, uh, Bernadette may have come off a little overeager in her attempts to befriend Kirsten and get into that inner circle. Uh, Kirsten would often ask Bernadette to do small favors for her friends, uh, things that would have gotten Kirsten into trouble, both of them, actually, if either of them had been caught. Um, But Bernadette was more than happy to do so, thinking it would make Kirsten like her. Uh Um, I'm not sure if this was a real example or not, because nobody mentions it, but in the movie... The character based on Bernadette would write notes to excuse the absences and tardies of Kirsten's more popular friends who had, like, skipped class. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that's an actual real example, but there's something like that, if not that. Mm-hmm. Um, just little things like that. I'd be like, oh, maybe if I do this, I'll get in her good graces and then she'll be my friend. Yeah, I stole one of those pads <laughs> once. I got in trouble. <laughs> well, I didn't get caught stealing it. Just I, I got it? caught in class with it. And I, I don't even remember how. I just remember I did. 
Because, you know, back in the olden days, <laughs> like when I got to school late, you'd have to go. If you're tardy, yeah, you have you to go, go to in, go to the office, and they give you the pink slip. Here, go to class. And there was a little pad. I just whoop, swiped it. I don't remember how I got caught, but I did. Maybe it fell out of your bag. It's some shit like that. Something like that. Just something dumb. It was something dumb. Just rookie mistake. Yeah. Rookie mistake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm, again, assuming we've all done something like that as a teenager. I did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not not that. I mean, like doing something for someone oh. more popular or whatever in another group sure. that you want to get in with. Sure. Just doing something little to be like, oh, maybe this will make them like me. Right. Generally, never. Generally, never. It will not make them like you, but it will make them like... Using you. Using you. <laughs> and it will give them the knowledge that they can. Yeah. So there is also that. Mean Girls. We've all seen the movie. We've all lived it. We've, we've all seen it. We've all been to high school. Yeah. Um. But yes, kind kind of. Mm-hmm. Um. And I went to high school in the eighties. Yes. When you, you could be mean to people. <laughs> um. So small favors. Hopefully that will make them like her. But not really. Uh, Kathy also shared that her friend quote had this obsession about being accepted, even though she was accepted. I've seen her when she would do drugs just to try to be someone's friend. She was constantly changing. She was popular in her own way. Kirsten was in what they called the elite group. Bernadette was popular, but not with that group. Mm -hmm. She idolized Kirsten. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. In early December of 1984, six months, six months after Kirsten's murder, Bernadette was called into the police station for another interview. And this this time, it was with FBI agent Ron Hilly. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, um, oh, hang on, I have to turn the page. Because apparently my brain just totally figured it would uh, magically appear on you know, one I'd already read. I really wish it would. Right. Um, that just makes everything so much easier. It would. So, Ron Hilly, at this Ron point, Hilly. local law enforcement had already spoken to her. A couple times. They'd fucked up is what they did. And they sure fucking did. Uh, Initially, Bernadette stuck with her original story that she'd been babysitting that night, but Agent Hilly had something previous investigators hadn't. The FBI's profile of their suspect. Oh, please do go on. (laughs) According to the experts who had reviewed the evidence, their suspect would have been a female who was roughly the same age as Kirsten, and Kirsten would have known who her killer was. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, she would come from a large religious, specifically Catholic family that either lived in or near Orinda. The profile also stated that their killer would believe the murder was justified, would have almost no reaction upon being questioned, and would have little to no remorse for her crime. Wow. Um, yeah, to quote Sheriff Richard Rainey, the profile was, quote, right on the money. I love FBI profile. Right? I love profilers. They've got the coolest fucking job. Did you ever watch the show Profiler? No. Oh my god. Find it and watch it immediately because it was so fucking good. When that show aired and I watched it, I wanted to be an FBI profiler because of that show. I want to now. Also, yes. (laughs) A. Martinez? Do you remember him from the show? It was uh, Santa Barbara. No. The soap opera Santa Barbara. Oh, I think if you see his face, you'll recognize Maybe, him. Yeah. Uh, but he was in it. Oh, he was so beautiful. God, that show is 
really I mean, what a fucking job. Tracy Lord was in it, I think. Oh. Yeah. Good on her. It's great. It's a really fucking great Love show. Her. Robert Davi. Hmm. Yeah. It's a it's a really good show. Alright, alright. Um so profile, right on the money. Once Agent Hilly had finished reading the profile out loud, Hilly asked Bernadette if it sounded like anyone she knew. <laughs> to which she responded, quote, it sounds just like me. Huh. However, she did not confess. Instead, she asked Hilly if he'd ever considered that a teenage girl, quote, might be more afraid of publicity than of going to prison. What a weird fucking thing to say. Real fucking weird. She then expressed that she wanted to go home and think. Since they had nothing to hold her on in that moment, she was allowed to leave. Uh, later that evening, Bernadette told her mother that they needed to talk. What a little sociopath. Fucking weirdo. Um, Elaine said that they would have a conversation after she'd woken up from her nap, but she ended up sleeping through the night. Uh-oh. The next morning, as she was leaving for school... And after receiving an apology from her mom about the night before, uh-huh. uh, Bernadette informed her mom that she'd left a note on the kitchen counter for her parents to read, uh, but she asked that Elaine wait half an hour before reading it. Uh, she was on her way to school, and I'm assuming she did not want to be there when she saw her mom's face as she read this note. Hey, by the way, I killed somebody. Yeah. So Elaine agreed. She set a kitchen timer and went back to studying her Bible. Oh, God. Yep. By the time the half hour was up, Bernadette was already at school. The note she'd left read, in part, as follows. Quote, Dear Mom and Dad, I've been trying to tell you this all day, but I love you so much it's too hard, so I'm taking the easy way out. The FBI man, Mr. Hilly, thinks I did it, and he is right. I can't bring her back, but I am sorry. I've been able to live with it for a while, but I can't ignore it. I'm even worse than words can describe, and I hate myself. I've been able to live with it for a while, but I can't ignore it. It's too much for me, and I can't be that deceiving. I've spoken to a priest, but I still can't take it. I need to turn myself in with you if you would come today. Please forgive me. I need you. I'm so sorry that I've been such a disappointment to you in every way. Please still love me. I can't live unless you love me. I've ruined my life and yours, and I don't know what to do, and I'm so ashamed and scared. P.S., don't say how could you or why, because I don't understand this and I don't know why. Huh. Yeah. She'd also written the following in her journal. One, I have caused a lot of hurt and pain to a lot of people. Two, I don't want to hurt people anymore. Three, I want to go to heaven when I die. Four, I regret what I did. Five, I can't bring Kirsten back or change time. Six, if I kill myself, I will hurt people even more, my family. I think I could kill myself. I would go to hell if I killed myself. I would rather kill myself than go on living if people knew. Although it's incredible, my parents are saints who would forgive and love me. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Shocked, Elaine called the school and spoke to Bernadette before going to pick her up. She and her husband then drove her to the nearby Martinez police station, where um, Bernadette gave a 90-minute confession. Mm -hmm. 
as is often the case in smaller towns, word that someone had confessed and had been arrested spread like wildfire. Mm-hmm. But they didn't find out exactly whomst that was until the next day when Bernadette was the only girl absent from school. Oh, shit. Yeah, I read in one article that every single girl, after hearing someone had been arrested, even if they were sick, showed up because they didn't want anyone to think that it was them. Right. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. I'd have been there too. Yep. And so, easy to deduce who it was when everybody was already there and there was just the one person missing. Oh, shite. Yep. Um, Oh, Bernadette. Yeah. Oh, Bernie. Mm. Um, Bernie done fucked up. She sure did. Um. Bernadette's guilt came as a shock to the community, with friend Jessica Grant saying, quote, I knew she had the pinto, but she was the last person you'd think of. She seemed as upset about the murder as everybody else. Uh, uh, can I just interject for a hot fucking second? Uh-huh. So, she was already interviewed more than once before? Mm-hmm. She has a pinto, and her fucking... Polygraph was inconclusive? Yeah. Huh. They di- And they had checked her Pinto. It was one of the 750 that they looked at. Well, they weren't all 750 orange, were they? Yes. They oh, were all the, okay. they were all the color. Some, oh, some yeah. Because, you know. That color. That, that color, which feels like, number one, way too many Pintos in general. Number two, way too many Pintos of that color. Yeah, it was... Yeah, popular it, in the late 70s, I guess. Yeah, but still, to be in one area seems... It's a big fucking area. Well, yeah. I mean, I, it's, hmm. it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. For them to... That specific color feels weird. Yeah. For there to be that many in not a gigantic radius that right. they were searching. Okay. Like, that is a... That's a fucking lot of yellow pintos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real weird. Um, you know, and I want to give the cops the benefit of the doubt and like, okay, well, uh, you know, a young girl couldn't really have done this, except that they know that it ha- it was a young girl. Yeah, they already knew. They already knew that she was. This was, was just gonna be shoddy, shitty police work. Roughly the same age as the victim. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. Okay. Yeah. Well, do go on. I don't ever want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but you may, <laughs> except in this case. Yeah. No. No. It's, Shitty police work. It's like another instance of a whole ass car. A whole ass car. 750 Pintos. That's a lot of Pintos. And we're going to say 749 because they checked the one. And again, 750, how many of them belonged to young blonde girls? Or how many had teenage daughters in the home? Right. In the area. That I don't know for sure, but it couldn't have been all 750. No. So, yes. Shitty police work. Yeah. Uh, very much so. Wow. Uh, Suzanne Barr, who had used Bernadette as a babysitter for years, was in disbelief, saying, quote, There has to be a terrible mistake. I don't know who else I would trust my children to. She's full of grace, sympathy, and love. You sure about that, Suze? And rage. Yeah. Not everyone was surprised to learn of her confession, though. According to Sharon Palmer, whose daughter was actually friends with both girls, shared that her daughter thought Bernadette was the killer, saying, quote, I just have this feeling. 
Oh, okay. Apparently, um, Sharon had taken a group of girls, including Bernadette, to the Sleepy Hollow Swim Club in August, where the teens gossiped about the murder and speculated on the identity of Kirsten's killer and, quote, how terrible a person had to be to do such a thing to their friend. Mm-hmm. According to Sharon, quote, Bernadette was quiet the whole time. Mm -hmm. Uh, The trial of now 16-year-old Bernadette Prati began three months later. Because of her age, it was held without a jury. Um, There was a lot of fuckery that Mm -hmm. went on with the trial and behind the scenes with the judge being like, I'm really worried that this is just all being done in the sake of entertainment. Mm -hmm. Because this, you guys are being fucking jackals. Yeah. So. It's weird. I don't know. I don't remember this. So. Which wasn't because it wasn't too far. No. Not at all. From you. But I don't know if it made like national news. Yeah. Um, But in any event. During the trial. uh, She sat surrounded by her mother and sisters. Crying. As her taped confession was played in the court. Yikes. Uh Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, there's actually a picture, and I, I will post it on the Instagram, but uh, it's her sitting in the courtroom with her mom and one of her sisters next to her, and I think her mom is, like, wiping tears away from her eyes, and it's just mildly mm. infuriating. Um, like, I get it. That's your yeah, sure. baby child, but also, good God. So... Bernadette claimed that she just wanted to be friends with Kirsten, but the desire was not reciprocated. Uh, Things seemed to hit a breaking point of sorts during a class ski trip. Mm -hmm. Bernadette, having limited funds for designer clothes, equipment, and the like, had taken a ton of babysitting gigs in order to save up money for whatever she'd needed for the trip. However, she was only able to get a hold of secondhand items and had to borrow others, leaving her with even deeper feelings of inadequacy. According to her, quote, I mean, we don't have a lot of money and stuff, and I just had this really crummy pair of skis and some boots, but I was having fun anyway, and she made some comment about them. It just seemed like everybody else was thinking that, but she was the only one who would ever come out and say that. Um, I don't know the exact quote, but I think it was something about... Um, like getting the clothes at a a thrift store or something. Um, Instead of backing off, Bernadette's need to befriend Kirsten kicked into overdrive. A very chilling quote from Arthur Lubo's article in People describes the dynamic between the two girls best. Quote, Kirsten Costas probably never thought much about Bernadette. She had no way of knowing that Bernadette was thinking a great deal about her. Indeed. Uh, By the time the school year was ending, Bernadette had come up with what she thought was a surefire way to finally become friends with Kirsten Costas, the secret dinner for the Bobolinks, which was allegedly a cover for a party that was being thrown by some of the older boys at school. A party, by the way, that has never been proven to have existed, but we will come back to that. Okay. Um, In any event, on the evening of June 23rd, Bernadette told her parents that she was going to be babysitting for the Weems family up the street and asked her dad to leave the Pinto with her so she could drive home later. Apparently, she told him it would make her feel safer to have the car in the driveway, and he agreed. Um, After that, she drove to Kirsten's to pick her up. Um, I don't know if I wrote this down, 
somewhere else, but the Weems house was like 150 yards from Bernadette's mm-hmm. house. So it was not far from right. Like, she was just literally up the street babysitting. Yeah. And her dad was like, yeah, okay, you can have sure, the car. Sure, take the car. Leave the car in the driveway. I mean, I get it. Yeah, it looks like someone's home. Exactly. And not just a random 15-year-old girl with right. an unknown number of small children. So, yeah, I get right. that. Sure. But... But why do we have a knife? I will get to that as well. So, <clears throat> she goes to Kirsten's to pick her up. Kirsten has... And remember, Kirsten has no idea who's coming to get her at that point. Right. Um... And, you know, take her to this alleged Bobby's dinner. Uh-huh. Um, but she was less than thrilled to find out it was Bernadette that was picking her up. And allegedly she said, oh, it's you, when she got into the car. Uh-huh. Like, ugh. Um, wow. She then asked what was going on, and Bernadette revealed that there was no surprise in initiation dinner. Uh-huh. They were going to a party. A little surprised, Kirsten went along with it and asked her unlikely partner for the evening to pull into the parking lot of a church in Moraga. Uh-huh. Um, Bernadette obliged and claimed Kirsten then produced a joint from her purse, a claim that drew vocal indignation and disbelief from Kirsten's family and friends in the court. Uh-huh. Um, and this was apparently the reason why Kirsten would later end up at the Arnold's front door. Uh, she elaborated... Saying, quote, we just talked, you know, argued, not argued really, but she didn't think it was any big deal. And I just didn't want to. And she made me feel dumb. She thought I was being weird about not wanting uh, about not wanting to smoke. Okay, she's like, I didn't want to do it. She made a big deal about it. She thought I was weird for not wanting to do it. So and this apparently non argument between Mm -hmm. them was what led Kirsten to be like, you're being a fucking weirdo. I'm going to find a ride home. Um, she would also claim that Kirsten left a baggie of weed behind in the car, which she said she flushed down the toilet when she got home that night. Okay. Is it true? We'll never know. No. Um, Bernadette's refusal to smoke a joint with Kirsten wasn't the only thing the girls argued about. Um, but remember, we only have one account to go off of. Bernadette. So, grain of salt. Any hoops. According to Bernadette, Kirsten found out that the party invite hadn't been direct. Um, instead, coming from a friend of a friend, which she was not stoked about and refused to go. Yeah, I'm not going to show up at a party that right? I'm, not I'm not invited to. I'm not going to crash a party that you weren't even invited to. Right? Because apparently the invite came from uh, one of Bernadette's friends who was invited I think it was like a brother or something mm-hmm. was going to be at this party and his sister, he was like, come if you want. And so then she allegedly invited Bernadette. Got she it. was not invited to the party personally herself. Right. right, right, right. And so Kirsten was like, I'm not going to a fucking party that you weren't invited to. I'm not invited to. And I had no, I don't know whose party this is. Right. It's fucking weird. No. Right. This is... No. And she was right to be weirded out by that. Yeah, you don't do that. That's weird. It is weird. <laughs> it's just so weird. Especially weird in high school culture. Yeah. You don't, Especially I mean, when you're not friends with this person. I mean, I don't know about now because I'm not in high school, but like back then. Oh, God. Oh, hell no. no. That would have been, you would have been seen as a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Showing up at a party like that. Yeah. 
Like, and I'm sure because it was allegedly being thrown by some of the older boys, mm-hmm. so probably juniors or seniors, mm-hmm. and probably Kirsten would have been fine because they're like, oh, popular girl. Whether they were popular as well or not, right. I don't know. But also, there's no real proof, again, that, that this party even was, gonna, was yeah. even real. Right. Like, that it was even happening at all. Mm-hmm. So, there's also that. Um. So, like I said, Kirsten, not stoked about this whole weird party situation, and she was she refused to go. Mm-hmm. And Bernadette then told her that she was going to, quote, spoil everything. But Kirsten pointed out there had never actually been anything to spoil. Right? She's like, spoil what? Right? What are you talking about? There's nothing to spoil, you fucking lunatic. Right. Um, Bernadette started crying and pointed, uh, and asked Kirsten why she was so mean. She then asked why Kirsten wouldn't be her friend when all she'd done was admire her and wanted to be like her. That's not going to make someone want to be your friend. That's going to push them away even farther. That's real, that's real fucking creepy. Single white female It's very single white female and all, like, just... That's how you end up with a stiletto in your head. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a great movie. I know. Um, so she's like, why do you want to be my friend? Why are you so mean? And Kirsten let her know, in no uncertain terms, that she thought Bernadette was weird and pathetic and exited the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she followed Kirsten back to her neighborhood, allegedly to make sure Kirsten, quote, got home safely. Okay. She would have. Stalker, what's... Yeah, but instead, the more she thought about what had just happened, the angrier she became. Once she'd gotten to Kirsten's neighborhood, she snapped. She grabbed a large 18-inch kitchen knife that was in the car, which she claimed had been left there by her sister, who testified that she'd often kept a knife in the car to cut vegetables for lunch when she was at work. Who brings an 18-inch knife to work? No one. <laughs> to cut vegetables? Are you... Are, you, are not, you? not that she would take the knife into her work and make herself a salad or whatever. No, she would do it in the car, she claimed. No one fucking does that. No one does that. That is absolutely absurd behavior. We're talking about an 18-inch... Are you carving a fucking pumpkin in your car? Right? Nobody... You don't need an 18-inch knife to fucking cut up a carrot. No. Do you not carve your pumpkins in your car? I'm confused. No. Um, no. 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 It's like... Are, no, we don't, we, don't, we don't carve squash in our cars. Why are... Why are we using... I guess I'm just a, a fucking weird one. Why are we using a samurai sword <laughs> to fucking cut up cherry tomatoes... Right? ...in our fucking family pinto? Again, am I the only one? <laughs> You and this girl's sister, apparently. Fucking Christ. You, you and... God damn it. You and, I believe her name was Virginia. You and Virginia Prati, the only two people on earth. I don't That's know. why you don't see vegetables in my house. It's because they're in, in the your car. They're, they're in, in my car. car. Understood. I don't... That's like. why I keep a sheath in the driver's seat. Might have mm. to give it a whirl. Maybe they taste better. 
maybe because why do I say that I love vegetables because you have to work harder for it (laughs) maybe with your again fucking sword you cutting them on the dash the hood did was there it doesn't have a trunk was there a a pinto cutting board also did you drive around with like your full kitchen in the pinto fart noises agreed god I feel attacked you should fart (laughs) noises you should feel attacked because stop doing that (laughs) Agreed. So the nobody buy even though her sister's like, yeah, I totally did that. Nobody believes. Well, her, her sister's going to hell because she <laughs> lied on the stand. She sure is. You're going to fucking jail, Greg. <laughs> Every Jesus. Time, just, just nobody, nobody does that. I don't care what Randall pants says. are on fire, Virginia do liar, I, liar. Do I smell smoke? Yeah, because someone's pants. pants are on fire, Virginia. Shut the fuck up. With the, no. It just is so absurd. So anyway, she finds this knife in her car that allegedly her sister just has in the car. Mm. It just, no, Mm-mm-mm. I can't. I was And who decided, you know what? Yeah, let's just, okay, well, let's just say this. And they're going to buy it. I don't know. But it's like. No. It's not a weird family quirk or a weird family thing, like a poop knife. Like, oh. Okay, now that's fucking weird. It's a thing, it is a thing that exists it's, it and is, I hate. It's disgusting. It's not like that. It can't be like that. It's not like, oh, this is just my car knife. <laughs> no, that's not a thing. I mean, you can, as a single young lady, have a knife in your car, sure, but not an 18-inch knife that you say you cut vegetables with. Yeah, no, no, don't, don't. I drive into the city a lot. I keep it in there. Sure. But you're very clearly lying because you said you're using it to cut vegetables. Yeah, it's it's just... At work, on your lunch, in the vehicle. You're a fucking liar. Yeah, it's it's god-awful. And it's a dumb lie at that really is a dumb lie. It reminds me of something like a, a toddler when they got caught doing something would lie about. Yes. You're like, why is this in your room? I was using it. I had to cut vegetables with... I'm like, no. Right. You're four. Right. You can't have this. Yes. You've never done that in your life. Yes. Just fucking... Yeah. No, that was the dumbest lie I've ever heard. And they're dumb for thinking that a judge was going to buy that. Agreed. Um, so it's just, so she, she grabs her fucking car knife, her feral car sword, Uh uh-huh, and ran after... Her veggie sword. Ran after Kirsten. Uh, She also claimed that she never intended to kill Kirsten, she just wanted to hurt her. Uh, Sharon Palmer stated that, quote, the knife was huge, it was so awful, Bernadette's mother screamed and put her head down when she saw the knife in trial, end quote. So Bernadette's own mom... Was not familiar. She doesn't know about veggie sword. She doesn't know about the fucking feral car knife. Right? Fucking car sword. No. She apparently hadn't seen it. Or at least hadn't seen it outside of her kitchen where knives live. Where you cut vegetables, even. Yes. Yes. Not the pinto. Not. not, We don't don't cut vegetables in pintos. No. Because that is ridiculous. There have been like 19 good episode names in the last three minutes. I just want. <laughs> well, I need you to put a timestamp on that so I can listen specifically to that. Hour 30. There you go. I love you. Thank Hour you. Hour 30. I love it for all of us. So that 
fucking no absolutely not um after she had viciously attacked kirsten bernadette went home cleaned up hid the knife and took the dog for a walk with her mom wow the next day she washed the knife and put it back in the family's kitchen not back in the pinto but that's where that's where veggie swords belong yeah in your fucking family car yes but no, she put it back in the kitchen. Oh, well, that's not where feral veggie swords are. It's not. They belong in pintos. Exactly. Um, eventually, she tossed out the clothes she'd worn that night into the trash at the swim club. Mm. During the playback of her confession, the first thing she asked investigators was, quote, What are you going to tell the press? Do I go to Juvenile Hall or do I go back to Miramonte? I can't live if it is known. I would rather die. Oh, girl. First thing, she said. When she was asked what Kirsten had said or done to upset her to the point of murder, Bernadette replied that, quote, I have a lot of inferiority feelings, and I really have bad feelings about myself. I lost for cheerleader. I didn't get into the club I wanted to. I didn't get on yearbook. So I don't know. I just felt bad. The things that got me... Mad was it hurt and I couldn't change, like looks or money or popularity or things. But we don't kill people, honey. No. This girl fucking sucks. We don't kill people over this shit. Uh, During the trial, she also revealed that she feared Kirsten, quote, was going to tell everybody at school that I was really weird. And that, quote, I couldn't let her tell. I couldn't let her tell. I couldn't. Uh, Then don't be weird. Just stop trying to be her friend, because clearly she does not want to be your friend. Uh, Sharon Palmer weighed in again, stating that she thought, quote, it was the shame and judgment, end quote, that got to Bernadette, adding that the girl, quote, didn't care about the consequences morally. She was more ashamed of what she did than killing Kirsten. And that, quote, Prati felt if Kirsten had told what she had done, that it would be the end of her life. So she's more concerned about what everyone's going to say at school. Yup. Yeah. And, you know, this is back in the day, pre-internet. You know what you do? You go to a different school. Yeah. And you know what? The rumors will eventually catch up there via phone call. Yeah. People's landlines. Yeah. And then someone else is going to do something really dumb at a party on the weekend, and everyone's going to forget about you. You go to a different fucking school. It's that simple. Yeah. Or even if you don't go to a different school... Just stop. Yeah, there was no social media. There was no... You just you just have to leave the girl alone. Yeah. Like, stop trying... Because that's yeah. why people were going to think you were weird, because yeah. you wouldn't stop. Yeah, and then someone else is going to fuck up, and everyone's going to focus on that and leave you alone. Exactly. It's, that's, it's, it's the cycle of embarrassment. Yeah. In high school. Yeah. Like... And it's, it was different, because it's not... You know, there's, there's no internet. There's no cell phones. Yeah. You know, people two towns over aren't going to hear about what you did. Unless it was really embarrassing. But they would have to know somebody that exactly. called them. Exactly. Like, it's, you're never going to hear about it. It's just, you're not, you know. It's Yeah, unless dumb. you were from another town in, at whatever party or whatever. Right. But it's not like it's going to catch, like, wildfire. No. It's just. No. It, they, it, they, it, that was not a thing back no. then. You haven't revealed the movie that came out of this. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. All right. Because I'm, like rolling through what I think are scenes of movies in my head that oh, yeah. kind of go along with the story. It, it may have unintentionally inspired other things, um, but the one specific movie 
that is directly based off of it I have not mentioned okay. yet, but I will get there. Okay. Um, so during the confession, Bernadette said, quote, I didn't know what I was doing. And then afterwards, I was so horrified. I didn't think about if she was going to die. Uh, she also shared that she'd been able to continue with life as usual after what she'd done because, quote, I was really good at blocking what had happened out of my mind. Mm. And I still am. That's why I can live through every day because it doesn't seem real. Mm. Uh, also during her confession, she told Agent Hilly, quote, I had dreams about Kirsten. I sort of apologized to her in my mind. You know, like I think she's in heaven now. I sort of said that I'd still like to talk to her. Girl, leave her alone! You killed her because you had a very unhealthy, one-sided parasocial relationship with her. Right. Let her rest in peace. Do not talk to her. Leave her the fuck alone. From here while she is wherever she is. Leave her alone. Good Psycho. God. Psycho. Uh, Deputy District Attorney and Prosecutor John Oda who sought a first-degree murder charge against the teen, stated that Prati was, quote, a naive, unsophisticated young girl who later expressed horror at what she did. He, later. He, like many others, believed the crime was premeditated. Mm -hmm. um, with Barrett Costas pointing out the initial phone call Prati had made had been intentionally misleading in order to get Kirsten out of the house. Yeah. Uh, she also wanted to know why the incredibly image-conscious girl had been wearing sweats if the intended destination for the evening was a party. Yeah, raggedy red sweatpants and a shirt sweatshirt that didn't match. Yeah, it was like a yellow shirt and red sweatpants or something. Faded red sweatpants. Yeah. And lastly, she insisted that there was no way anyone kept an 18-inch knife in their car to, quote, cut tomatoes. We fucking agree, Barrett. Yep. We fucking agree. One, hundo P. Hundo P. Yeah. Uh, after three days, Judge Edward Merrill found Bernadette Prati guilty of second degree murder due to the lack of evidence presented to prove premeditation. Mm. Uh, regarding the charge, Art Costa shared, quote, My feeling is that the law has been served. I'm not in agreement with the punishment, but that's my opinion. I don't believe the punishment could ever match the crime in this case. We've lost our daughter. Yeah. Um, on April 1st, the judge handed down the maximum sentence of... Um, any guesses? Ten years. Ten. You were both so close. Nine. Nine years. Nine years to be spent in the custody of the Maximum Security California Youth Authority facility in Ventura. What year was this? 84. Oh, yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, they were how old? She's 16. Oh, yeah. She was, even more so. She was 15 yeah. at the time 15. of the murder, 16 at the time so of the trial. So they didn't try her as an adult. No, no they didn't. No, no, yeah, no. no. Um, yeah, and that's also why the trial was held without a jury. Yeah. Because she was underage. Of the sentence, Barrett Costas said, quote, Kirsten hope, Kirsten's hopes and ideals were shattered on June 23rd, 1984. She was attacked by Bernadette Prati and left in the street to die. My heart is empty. I ache. I'm half a person. She will probably be given her freedom in a few years. I asked the people of California, is this justice? Mm. Oof. Oof is right. Um, after the trial was over, the Costases moved to Alaska and then Hawaii. Okay. So what happened 
to Bernadette Prati after the trial. Well, she went to prison for nine years? And hopefully her frontal lobe finished developing? Oh, oh I have a feeling we're about to get real mad. Yeah, this, is, this will really steam your beans. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, wow. Um, because Barrett was right. Bernadette served a little over seven out of the nine years she'd been sentenced to and was released in 1992 at the age of 23. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, the Costases vehemently opposed this and were rightfully pissed. Mm-hmm. Uh, her appeal for parole the previous year had been denied, with the Youth Offenders Parole Board stating that Prati, quote, uh, had not learned to control the jealousy and rage that drove her to kill Kirsten Costas. Meaning that there were some issues while she was in prison. Weird. Mm-hmm. Um, while incarcerated, she graduated high school with a four-point GPA, received mm-hmm. her GED, took courses through a community college, mm-hmm. received an associate's degree, and allegedly even had a boyfriend while she was locked up. So she was living her best life in jail. Oh, okay. She had a, she had a pen pal boyfriend? Somehow. Yep. Yeah, well, how, that's how they do it. Yeah. Well, I don't how? know. I don't know how she met him is right. the thing. And I don't know if he was maybe in another youth facility or how or whomst this young man was. Mm-hmm. I could find nothing that gave me more information that she had one. Right. Um, so, yeah, not not cute. Mm-mm, not a good look. Upon release, she changed her name. Moved out of state mm-hmm. and was rumored to have gotten married and had some kids. There are a few sites out there that claim to know her new identity, and while I do believe that they have indeed found her, it's not been proven mm-hmm. officially, so I won't share her name just in cases. Mm-hmm. But it's not difficult information to find if you really wanted to. I did. There you go. I looked. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to see what she looked like, and then all these other, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you she's going to get there. Did you see the side-by-side? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, mm, that's definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And one of the sites, um, somehow, I don't know how, they have the name change form, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like scanned in a copy of the yeah. name change form that, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, but I don't know if that's real. Yeah. Har- so, I mean, sh- because right. it's, the, it's internet. the internet. And I'm like, ah, uh, but if you are that curious, you can go look. All you have to do is just Google right. Bernadette Prati 2023. Yeah. And. Yep. It's there. It's there. Um, in 1987, independent filmmaker James Benning released Landscape, Landscape Suicide, a documentary fe- featuring the case. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't seen it. But it apparently, quote, recounts and parallels two murders that took place 30 years apart. Okay. The second half of the film is about the crimes of Ed Gein. Weird. I don't know how they connect the two. Right? But okay. Okay. So that is the thing that exists. Odd. Uh, In 1994, an article about the case by Rolling Stone journalist Randall Sullivan was turned into a TV movie. The movie was initially released in the States under the title A Friend to Die For, but you may better know it as the original title of Randall's article, Death of a Cheerleader. Yep. 
Uh, the movie revolves around the murder of popular mean girl Stacy Lockwood, played by peak Tory Spelling. Nice. Yeah. And the eventual trial of Angela Del Vecchio, played by the always adorable Kelly Martin. Uh-huh. Um, the movie rightfully drew criticism from many, including the Costases, as a wholly inaccurate portrayal of Kirsten. The original article, which I was unfortunately unable to track down, like uh-huh. I could not find it anywhere uh-huh. on the interweb at all. Uh-huh. Um, but the original article allegedly read more like a scathing commentary on popularity and heavily implied that Kirsten had brought it all on herself. Oh. Yeah, it was real fucked up from the sources I found that had uh-huh. had read it. Um somehow but yeah it was very unkind and especially out to be a regina george yep a Mm -hmm. real fucking bitch real regina was not really the case right like it's not like she went out of her way to be be mean a bitch to this poor in the movie well i enjoy it Mm-hmm. Because I love a Lifetime movie, and yeah. this was one of the first ones I remember seeing. Um, while it's fun for entertainment's sake... Yeah, it's not the, an accurate portrayal. It is not an accurate portrayal at all of what mm-hmm. happened. Which um, happens a lot. Happens a lot. But it, the fact... I didn't know until researching this that it the movie was based on an article. Right, okay, yeah. Written by Somebody an adult else. man. Weird. Victim blaming a 15-year-old girl for her own death. Right. Which... Pretty shitty. Is very shitty. Uh, and he apparently lives in Portland now. Oh. So uh, if, let's find him. If you're, <laughs> if you're listening, I just want to talk. Right. I just want to talk to you, Randall Sullivan. I just, I just want to talk. Just, That's all. I just, all. just got a couple questions, comments, and concerns. Uh-huh. Maybe a note. Yeah. Maybe I carry a fucking feral vegetable sword in my Pinto. Maybe. We don't know. Except we do know because I do not drive We've a Pinto. stated so many times that we don't carry <laughs> Several times. feral tomato swords because in our car. Because it's insane. But Randall does. Apparently. Battle of the Randalls. Battle Ooh. of the Randalls. Great episode title. <laughs> Battle of the Randalls. There's just, there's so many good choices today. There really are. Um. So there, there's that. There's, there's. I just, I just want to talk. Yeah, buddy. Uh, buddy. The movie was remade under the same name by Lifetime in 2019, and again starred Kelly Martin. Only this time, she was playing the FBI agent instead of the killer. I have not seen it, but it's apparently less victim blamey than the original, really? and is narrated by the character based on Nancy Kane. Interesting. Um, so and way that. to recycle your actors, Lifetime. Right? Yeah. I'm like, huh, interesting. Huh, yeah. Um, several shows like Killer Kids and Deadly Women have featured the case, and a couple of bands have written songs inspired by it. Mm. One by Marcy Playground, oh. titled Death of a Cheerleader, features the lyrics, and the death of a cheerleader takes me by surprise, how the death of a cheerleader can open eyes. And it's sad that she had to die to open eyes. Nobody doubted her future was vast. Nobody noticed she grew up so fast. It's a shame that her future is a thing of the past. Tomorrow's the funeral, you know. L-E-T-S-G-O. Oh, boy. And that is the 
motherfucking story of the death of a cheerleader, Kirsten Costas, perpetrated by Bernadette Prodi. There you go. There it fucking is. And my sources, UPI.com, an archived staff article from March 14th, 1985. WRHSB.com, Ranker.com, Sonia Ska, great name. Mm-hmm. Uh, People.com, Arthur Lubo, article, um, an archived article from 513.85, which is days before my birth. Mm. Uh, Grunge.com, Andrew Amelinix. Mm-hmm. LATimes.com, an archived staff article from March 14th of 85. NewYorkTimes.com, another archived staff article from December 17th, 1984. Uh, the Wikipedia, findagrave.com, uh, org, content.time.com, an archived staff article from December 24th, 1984. Books.google.com. Mm. Crime Classification Manual, a standard system for investigating and classifying violent crimes by John E. Douglas, Ann W. Burgess, Alan G. Burgess, and Robert K. Ressler. Uh, Lyrics.lyricfind.com. Clickamericana.com. Nancy J. Price, um, a staff article, and an archived article from the Ladies' Home Journal from November of 1985 by Carol Pogash. TheCampoClaw.com, Kate Ginley, TheCinemaholic.com, Shuvrajit Das Biswas, mm. LadiesHandbook.com, Rachel, uh, mm. R-I-Peace, P-E-A-C-E, .wordpress.com, posted by user Let's Find Them, uh, LauriaJohnston.medium.com, Laura Johnston, and BernadetteProttyExposed.blogspot.com mm-hmm. by user Brittany. Uh, that is also... A great resource uh-huh. if you have questions about where Bernadette Prati is now. Uh, Cult Leader Podcast, Death of a Cheerleader, Episode 48, told by Spencer Henry. Crimes of Passion Podcast, The Cheerleader Murder, uh, Bernadette Prati, told by Lainey Hobbs. And the Once Upon a Crime Podcast, With Friends Like These, Chapter 1, Kirsten Costas. It was Episode 58 overall, told by Esther Ludlow. All right. There you go. Well, shit. Well, shit. Yeah. But yeah, those those two movies, um, well, mostly Death of a Cheerleader in 94, yeah. uh, but some people think the case may have played maybe even an unconscious inspiration to the movie Heathers. I wondered about that I, as the first option. Yep. I was like, ooh, I wonder if it's Heathers. Unofficially. Right. Unofficially. Uh I looked to see if I could find confirmation of it, mm-hmm. but I could not. Right. But would any of us be surprised? Nope. Not at not all. Not even a little bit. Not at all. Because uh, that, when did that come out? 89, I think? Yeah. I think. Probably. So it definitely had already happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. So if anybody knows for sure, if you can find the information, let me know. Yeah. Um, but I have a feeling... It played a part. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, not at all. Mm-mm. Not at all. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a good that. one. Thank you. It was a very fucking unnecessary uh, thing it, that happened. It, mm, it's like, you know, I, nobody gets, keeps that. It just, it's so premeditated. Why would a girl who feels bad about herself... 
say that, oh, I was going to take her to the surprise her and take her to this party where all these hot guys were going to be. Yeah. You would be looking your best. Yeah. Kirsten was dressed. Right. She was dressed up. Yeah. Because she thought she was going to a, a dinner, a surprise initiation dinner. Exactly. And so she was, dre- I mean, not like super fancy, but she was where I think she was wearing like a skirt or something. Sure. She was dressed nicely. Yeah. Like she was going to Bernadette was dressed in clothes that were disposable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Faded red sweatpants. Yeah. And that's what several people pointed out. In Those court. were disposable clothes. But ultimately the judge was like. You can't prove it. There's not enough proof. There's not. Like, and, and he judge was, was right. He was probably like, well, yeah. I mean, you couldn't prove that, but. Yeah. I, to have been in that courtroom Pretty when obvious. her sister was like, oh, yeah, I totally keep a fucking samurai sword to cut my vegetables in the car. Going to hell, Virginia. I, 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 I would have been found in contempt because as soon as she said <laughs> that, I would have stood up and went, fuck you. You're full of shit. I just want to be like the judge, be like, gavel, gavel. You're fucking full of shit. <laughs> right? Like, I know I'm supposed to be impartial, the, the impartial and the judge here, but. There's no jury, and I need you to just shut the fuck up forever. This what is, is this? <laughs> ludicrous. Nobody does that. Nobody does. Nobody does that. And even if he didn't, nobody call it out. I just wanted to see his face because just, it's like my face when he I'm had trying fart to his face. Yeah, fart noises when I'm trying oh. to like keep my inside. I know the face. face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Your hope inside my face. inside face. <laughs> Uh, which I don't have because my face refuses. Oh yeah, no, you refuse, wear. I can't. You wear literally every emotion on your face. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I have no, no. inside I know. shit. I know when you're mad and when you want me to shut the fuck up, and yeah. that's most times. Generally, <laughs> always. Uh, but yeah, no, I have no inside face, um, and I really hope that judge didn't either. But it's another episode title. Good God, hour and a half onward. Just. <laughs> just Throw a dart. Truck through the last half hour of this. Yeah. You'll find it. I'm I'm ready. Uh, but yeah, just, and she's out there living her life. Living her life. Living her life. Living her life. Just. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question Foot for you guys loose and then. feral knife free. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Do you, either of you, yeah. believe in, like, rehabilitation? Like, if people yes. kill. If, in certain cases. If someone murders another human, in this case. Does their time, gets out, and then lives a peaceful life. So, and here's in, in kind of cases. What, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not advocating no, either no, no. way. No, no, I'm no. just curious. And here's where I was kind of going with that. It's like, okay, so me, I 100% believe that this murder was premeditated, or at least she had the thought, if, what if. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's no other reason for any of that to have gone down the way that it did. Yeah. But then... You look at the fact that she is a 16-year-old girl with inferiority issues mm-hmm. yeah. and self-esteem issues. Scientifically, her frontal lobe is not fully oh, developed. Oh, it's fucked. Yeah, it's yeah. fucked at that and age. Not, and it still wasn't when she was released from right. CYA. 16, she was in seven years? Now, she, was out, she was released when she was 23. Yeah, so so I'm not 20, saying 25, that... 25, I think, is when that, it's... The development is okay. there's any sort of justification for what she did because she, her impulse control or her yeah. her hormones or her frontal like all of that right? all of that there's no justification for what she did but those are scientific facts 
And so do I believe that a 16-year-old girl with those issues can go through prison and I'm assuming some sort of therapy or rehabilitation of some sort can I mean do can she I do. But I mean I would need to know more about what, what she did, what she did, and what sort of in, therapy. Yes, in the but youth it authority, sounds like that there were some jealousy issues there. There too. were because, and I didn't because she's still a kid. I didn't go too much into the um, help appeal. Yes, uh, for early parole. Um, but one of the there was one dissenting member of the parole board mm-hmm. one single dissenting member and that's why she didn't get it um and he was the one that was like absolutely not she's still got issues and even in her yeah. in her profile it said that she would have little to no remorse for her crime and she would think that it was justified right 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 mm-hmm. and the way like i get wanting to move on with your life you've Done your allotted time, kind of. Mm-hmm. Nine years, seven out of nine seven years. Seven out of nine, she's shy too. I I don't know what happened while she was in right. there, aside from what I listed. I don't know how intensive her therapy right. was, if any. Plus, I, also the 80s. It was so also therapy 80s is and very different. different. Yeah. But the thing is, she was, when they denied her her parole, it was a year before she was eventually released. So mm-hmm. she would have been 22 mm-hmm. right. at the time. And she was still having those issues. Mm-hmm. And I know your brain finishes developing Around mm-hmm. at 25. Mm-hmm. But by that point, mm-hmm. I'm, and again, I'm assuming that she had gone through therapy while in there. And she was still having the same issues. Mm-hmm. And it- she also, if it is her, mm-hmm. and I am pretty certain it but we is can't say for sure because because legally change her um, name allegedly but from what i've seen on that blog mm-hmm. um what they've posted that this woman they are assuming mm-hmm. is who her. is bernadette Prady. um yeah that whole lacking remorse thing Definitely. So we yeah. think she's a I didn't, I didn't look Something. into all I saw yeah. is uh, her, her profession, which is a very, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a legit profession, like, mm-hmm. and she hasn't. Are, are you thinking of her sister? Oh, I don't know. Her I, like sister, I said, I didn't look at her it. Her sister is like some, I think like a fancy banker or some kind of something like that. Yeah, I, I yeah. was just legit, just the photos. I was like, yeah. oh, she does but that now. There's okay. And there are a few different things that have been attributed to the maniac formerly known as Bernadette Prady, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. far as her current career. Um, so I can't say for sure. But overall, do I think certain oh. people can be rehabilitated? Yes. Do I think she was? No. Sure. But I mean, because I feel like she's got deep seated inferiority and rage issues mm-hmm. that I I don't mm-hmm. feel were resolved. Resolved. Yeah. Okay. But and I also I don't mean, feel like she. This person is her. Yeah, yeah. If this person is her, she's holding down a really good career and hasn't killed anybody else. So. 
So there you I'd go. be interested to hear, if, like, if she's in management, what her employees yes. think of her. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Because that, that would be very telling. Yeah. Yeah. And it things. is. From what I just saw. It's yeah. management. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like I said, there are several things that have been attributed to her, though. So. Yeah. It's hard to say if it, that's it, actually her, what she does. Yes. Um, and also because we don't actually know if it's her. We right. don't know. Officially. Nope. So. There's that. All right. But, I mean, from what we know, she hasn't killed anybody else. From what we so know. So there you go. So what we know. Enough, apparently. Yeah. So, cool. all right. Well, we done done it, y'all. We did done do it. Y'all know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe. Share, share, share. share. If you'd like some exclusive motherfucking content, go Maybe become a patron, patron on our patron. patron. Yes, please. All right. Well, till next time, y'all. We'll see you next year. Oh, shit, yeah. It's the last one, that's right. It is. Yeah. It's the last yeah. movie. Uh, enjoy whatever sort of holiday festivities you do. Revel in it. Have fun. And hey, if you need to buy some gifts for your loved ones, go to Redbubble. Look up Ghost and Hoes and, yeah. and buy them some, some cool shit. Exactly. Demons, we got them. We sure do. Yep. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Go get some shit. Yeah. All right, well. Till next time, y'all. Hexes and hoes, y'all. Hexes, Hexes and, and hoes, y'all. Hey, bye. Bye. Hats off to the fuck you club. Yeah. Fuck you, Charlie Lawson. Definitely. Fuck you, Bernadette, Bernadette Prady. Fuck you and your fucking knife in the car. Your fucking tomato sword. A whole ass. A whole ass. Car knife. Saber. Sword. A fucking saber. Whole ass car saber. Again, I don't see the problem. A damn near machete, if you will. Yeah. So. Just. Fucking. Eat shit and live. Eat shit and live. Just. (laughs) This is just how some people get off. I don't know what your problem is. (laughs) See you next year, y'all. Bye. (laughs) 